Welcome to Let's Talk Sales. This is the podcast for anyone who's interested in growing sales. Today's episode of Let's Talk Sales is brought to you by our ebook on sales and marketing alignment. In it, you'll discover how to understand and develop relationships with your buyers and how you can use your sales playbook to encourage cross-functional collaboration. Make sure to download a copy today. You can find it in the notes for today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod two nine three. This is Elizabeth Frederick, and I am excited to introduce today's guest to everybody. He is the co-founder and CEO of MyOutDesk.com, which is a business process services company that provides virtual assistance to busy professionals in the areas of marketing, administration, customer service, and prospecting. So I know those are pain points a lot of our listeners are experiencing. And he's also the chief investment officer at Ramsey Real Estate and Development Corp. He is the author of a book called Scaling Your Business with Mod Virtual Professionals, How to Drive Revenue, Save Time, and Create Your Dream Company. And he hosts a podcast of his own called Scale, the podcast. He is based in lovely Sacramento, California. Welcome to the show, Daniel Ramsey. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you for joining me. I think our listeners are going to really appreciate um, the wisdom that you can share. I just shared the top level bullets of your resume, but I'd love it if you could introduce yourself to our listeners. Maybe um, just share kind of a little bit of the journey that you've been on to get to where you are today. Sure. I My favorite story is my wife and I are on our honeymoon and we're in Guatemala and we're like traveling through the rainforest, like jumping over trees and through mountains. I mean, it was a really uh, cool kind of situation. And we stayed at a Francis Ford Coppola resort in Guatemala and it overlooked this huge uh, lake that really felt like an ocean because it was so big. And we were in bungalows, like that were above the ground, like in the trees. So it's this majestic, Mm -hmm. beautiful place. And I found myself at the bar at one in the morning working. And the bartender literally <laughs> stole my cell phone and then he started making fun of me like dumb, dumb white guy. These Americans don't know how to vacation, you know, always working, beautiful bride back in the bungalow. What's wrong with him? And he snapped a photo of me. And I remember sitting in that bar with a beer and working by candlelight, literally by <laughs> candlelight, because it, it was like, you know, one in the morning. And I remember looking at that photo thinking something had to shift, like something had to change in my in my career, in my business. I wanted to have kids, you know, stay married and actually own a business that didn't own me. Um, mm-hmm. And so it was at that moment that we came back, my wife and I, we put a lot of focus and emphasis on building systems and processes, hiring the right people, streamlining who did what within our company. And, you know, within a year or two, we were able to move to South America and spend six months living in another country while running our, our three businesses at the time. That's a very big change to working at 1 a.m. by candlelight while on your honeymoon. So um, significant improvement. And I'm sure many of our listeners, you know, who are some business owners and some just um, team leaders uh, have understood that frustration of being on vacation or um, even just not on vacation, still working until midnight, 1 a.m. and feeling like you're burning the candle at both ends and really not able to enjoy um, where you are, where you've gotten in your career and not able to appreciate your family and um, whatever else you have in your life. And so um, that big wake up call when I talk to so many people is the moment where they've realized they need a change. And it's so interesting to me, the change that you made. 
Yeah, we we you know what's interesting too about that is like I knew that because I'm one of those weird people like ever since I was a kid I've always wanted to own my own business and I just mm-hmm. viewed that as my I just viewed that as my vehicle for getting the life that I really wanted and somehow I got lost I mean I just got lost in a lot of things needed to get done and I found mm-hmm. myself being a helicopter delegator. And, and yep. if you list it here right now, I'm like, hey, how's that going? Where, where are you at? You know, and every day checking in or every other hour or something with an employee. And what I realized is that I hadn't documented what I wanted to happen. And one of my favorite lines now within my outdesk is, look, I, I want it done exactly how I want it done. And here's the process. Here's the training. Here's the video of me doing it. Here's the feeling that I want our clients to have afterwards. And, and we went through a process, literally, when we got back of just making everything a system and a process. And what happens through that is you start finding holes and you start discovering mistakes and you start realizing that my, my people, they're great people and they absolutely want to win, but they just don't know what they're supposed to do. And I found even in things that I thought were dialed in, I found errors and mistakes and, and different mm-hmm you know, edge cases where, you know, what if the client says this or what happens when that happens? And so we just, we, we focused on creating a very scalable business, a business that I didn't have to be in every single day. And that process has really um, paid dividends because we've rapidly scaled. We've served in the last 13 years, over 6,000 customers um, in industries like insurance, healthcare, uh, real estate, property management, all, all kinds of different. I mean, we have a boat broker in Florida, which is very <laughs> interesting because he's selling like $30 million boats. Uh, and nice. I'm like, hey, if I get to a virtual assistant, can I come sit on your boats and like take pictures? <laughs> but um, in all of those scenarios, I can tell you what I'm fighting for is my client. I'm fighting to have them have a dream business. I'm fighting for them to have time off. I'm fighting for them to have, you know, a happy marriage and more time with their family. I'm fighting for them to be able to go to the gym and and have time to eat healthy and and just really have that life that mm-hmm. being an entrepreneur or a business owner or a manager or somebody of in in a position of authority should have. Absolutely. Um, And like you said, a lot of times people, you know, you look back and you're like, I thought when I had this title, I thought when my company got to this size, I would be living a certain way and I'm not. And why is that? And a lot of times, as you realized, it's because of all those tasks that need to be done or because there's lack of clarity in the team or because you're functioning as a bottleneck because you have to approve every decision that gets made. And I think as 2020 has happened and um, all kinds of companies obviously have had to go remote for the first time um, or, you know, they had never had their whole team remote before and, and they've had different kinds of positions that people weren't in the office. And I do think that leaders have experienced at least one breakthrough, which is as I talk to managers, as I talk to executives, there are so many people that thought there's no way that I can guarantee that my team will be productive if they're remote. And people are just going to slack off and they're just going to you know, be surfing the internet all day and not working. And I think that idea has been pretty much um, proven to be incorrect in most cases. Um, if people have a job, um, they're happy that they have that job. They want to keep that job. If they can do it remotely, they're doing it remotely. So that's fine. But as you said, the, you can't, um, especially if you're hiring new people, if you're growing your team, 
if you had to be actively involved in micromanaging them in the office because you had problems with your process or because, you know, things weren't clear, that's still going to be a problem when you go remotely. It doesn't matter if people want to do the work, if they can't do the work, or if, um, you know, if there's something wrong with the way things are set up, uh, it's going to be difficult. And as as we're moving from that short-term emergency mode to a pretty long-term kind of settling in to permanent remote work, um, I would imagine that a lot of those companies are going to be running into that problem and recognizing you know, our executives are bottlenecks or um, they don't even know how to effectively manage people because they used to just kind of sit on top of them and really, really check in. So what are some of the things that you've learned um, are effective best practices when companies are looking to move to either remote work, you know, within their existing team or to a virtual team? Um, What are some of those key best practices that you need to have to make sure that's successful? And I know I just set up like the longest question ever, but hopefully... Hopefully you can follow. <laughs> yeah, no, Elizabeth, it's a great question. In fact, um, we have this concept. When you're physically in an office, there's something called tribal knowledge. Like mm-hmm. a company just, you know, everybody kind of knows enough about a pro- process or a system to help out the new person or help out mm-hmm. the person that's never done that job before. But the moment you, you know, snap your fingers and coronavirus happens and everybody's working in a different location, what has to happen is the team members have to pull everything that's out of their head and then mm-hmm. document it. And I like I like documenting and then putting it into some sort of a tech application. So, mm-hmm. you know, we use Monday uh, for our marketing and sales team whenever we're running a project or our tech team. Um, we have Basecamp for really complex um, projects where you can actually kind of document steps and and what you're supposed to do. I was just um, with a customer and she was breaking down exactly how she used Trello and literally mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm so impressed by her because she she the first step is okay new customer add them to the CRM and literally she had a video right next to add them to the CRM and that and if you clicked on it it launched you into a spot where it said, this is, this is all the information that we collect inside of our CRM. And her next step was find out their birthday and enter it into the calendar of the <laughs> CRM. Like literally. And, and I'm like, I'm so blown away by that because it's, it's the kind of documentation that is required for what we call a blended team, where some of your, your team is physically in an office and some of them in, are, are virtual. And the reality is collecting like a, a birth date of a customer who came in the door, like that's an important task, but it's not going to drive scale and it's not going to drive revenue. Getting that customer, that's the thing that matters. So what we try to help our customers really identify are the activities that are the highest and best use for their internal team, for the people who have the experience, mm. the, you know, the track record, maybe they're licensed, maybe they're, you know, 20 year veteran in the, in the, in the area, collecting date of birth, that's not an important step. That's something that you can leverage out. But getting that customer in the door, that's the highest and best use for your internal team. And so we're, we're constantly uh, in that place of battle. How much do we need to document and exactly who is doing what? And is it the highest and best use of their time? That makes a lot of sense. Um, Something we do with our clients is we build out sales playbooks. And like you said, we focus on tribal knowledge because even if the whole team is in the office, 
it's still never efficient to say, okay, a new hire starts and they've got to sit with Bob for an hour and a half. And then they're going to sit with Jamie for an hour. And then they're going to go to Juan and he's going to sit with them for two hours. And it's, it's, you know, it's, a time suck. It's really difficult to schedule. Um, if you can take all of those best practices, all of those step by step, and you know, here's a screenshot of what it's supposed to look like, or like you said, if it's a video of what it's supposed to be. Um, in Basecamp, we use project templates. So you just yep. copy paste, you say new client, here's the step by step. And then you, you know, you might need to make some tweaks. But anything that you can do like that, you're saving the time of those existing employees, where certainly you still want to provide their contact information to the new hire and say, you know, if you've got specific questions, if something didn't make sense, certainly they need to know who to reach out to, but you're saving hours and hours and hours of just repeating the same information one-on-one versus just having it documented. You know, in, in our business the other day, I realized that we didn't have a system and process for a particular, you know, client activity that I wanted done. And I was getting pushback from my sales team. Oh, I don't want to do that, or I'm not sure. And what we boiled it down to was our sales team didn't know exactly how to add value to the customer mm. in that step of the process. And I was like, yes. holy moly, we don't have a system and process for this. We we don't have a framework for them to follow. We don't have a documented, you know, example of how we'd like them to do it. And I realized within the company, there were only two or three people who had ever done this particular activity. Mm. So that, that meant the other, you know, 1300 have never even heard about it. We don't. And, and, and so in that moment, as a leader, I, I've got two options. I can just force through brute force mm-hmm. my sales team and my organization to do a task that they don't know what they're doing and they don't know what the outcome is and nothing's documented. I can brute force that or... I can step back and say, okay, as an organization, we need to create a framework. We need to we need to actually document what the outcome is. We need to talk to our customers and hear from them. What do they want in this in this particular system? And so, I think as a leader, um, this was the biggest growth area that I've ever had in running mm-hmm. a sales organization and running a business. Is that most employees they want to rock, they want to kick butt, mm-hmm. and when they're given the tools, they will. Absolutely. And I love that story specifically because so often I hear from executives and from sales leaders, my team is refusing to follow the process. It's their fault. (laughs) And like you observed, if, if there's a specific step in your process that nobody on your sales team is doing, there's something wrong. Either they haven't been effectively trained or that step doesn't make sense to them at some core level, or it doesn't fit in with the steps that are around it. And so they just can't figure out how to make it work, whatever it is, there's a problem. And so as the leader, if you can take that step back and say, first of all, okay, where is the step documented so that I can review it? Oh, it isn't. Okay. You know, (laughs) red alert. Um, But if it is, it's still worth, you know, let's take a deep dive and and see why it's not working. and, you know, we often find that especially, again, back to back to a story like this, these are existing hires that you have. And so often people think once people are hired and onboarded, I, I don't even have to think about them. I don't have to worry about them. They don't need documentation. But this is an example where if you've got that system, that process, that playbook, whatever it is, wherever you keep it, um, an existing hire can go back. And say, there's this thing that I don't do very often, but I know there's a step-by-step process, and now is the time that I need to actually refer to it. Well, and I, I also found find that when people are resistant, it's because they mm-hmm. don't feel like they're 
making an impact or adding value mm-hmm. or helping the client and it feels like a burdensome task like most people get energized by doing things of value where somebody on the other end is reflecting back to them oh my gosh that that was amazing and it was and I'm so glad you called and I'm thank you so much for your time when those things don't happen w- w- you're, you're, you're going to have a disempowered team. And so I just find as a leader, I've got to, number one, make sure I'm serving my clients, but number two, make sure I'm serving my people, the people who really make this company work, right? I mean, our customers are really important, but the internal staff, the folks that work day in and day out for you, they trade their time for money. They're, they're the ones in the fight to make your customers satisfied every single day. If you're not making them happy by providing them with a, a roadmap of success, I think that's where that's where a lot of um, firms just plateau. Absolutely. And like you said, I, I do think there's that just inherent desire to contribute to the world. And it kind of even goes back to what I was talking about a little while ago in terms of employers thought, you know, if people are working from home, they're not going to work. And it's like, no, it, you know, some of us might think I could just sit on the couch and watch TV all day and be happy doing that. But you get really bored and depressed and just uncomfortable if you feel like you're not contributing to the world in any way. And there's something just incredibly satisfying about finishing things. You know, whether it's a small task, like you washed all the dishes, or whether it's a, a bigger task or a or an achievement, like I was able to accomplish something for a client. And if you can help people discover the contribution that they're making in the role that they have, even if the role that they have is kind of one small gear within a bigger um, machinery, that's an incredibly powerful gift that you've given them uh, because you're you're creating that opportunity for them to see the value that they provide. Love it. Wonderful. Um, so I know that you you mentioned this with your team and and obviously with many teams that kind of blended approach and. What we're seeing is that you have the blended approach in terms of an internal team with an external team, um, but you also see blended approaches within departments. Like we're seeing a lot of times that there's overlap between sales and marketing and a lot of things that need to go back and forth. Um, So what are some of the common challenges that you see with teams that are trying to have these blended approaches um, and, and have effective alignment? I love it. I, my favorite story around this is the mm-hmm. coffee is for the closers, right? You you okay. walk in and, and there's a movie and it's it's an old school sales movie and the guy walks in and says, "You can't have any coffee because you haven't closed any deals." The 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 consistent fight between sales and marketing is a is age old. I mean, the marketing team says the sales team can't close. The sales team uh-huh. says the marketing team is giving us crap leads. So in yep. our business, what we've done is we've segmented those two departments and given very clear documentation of what we determine is a good lead, meaning uh, you know, a virtual uh, a virtual lead comes in and we have a one through six scoring of that lead. Six being the most ideal lead and one being a brand new business who has no process and system and doesn't know what they're doing. So when customers come in, we score them based on their revenue, their know-how, what they have in place, what their process and system is, what tech tools they might use. So we're scoring our potential customers at the beginning, and I'm using our marketing team to really drive the higher score and higher value leads. And then our sales development reps, which is our prospecting virtual assistants, they actually do the initial screen of all of our leads. So 
you know, a new lead comes in, our virtual assistant actually, you know, talks to the lead, understands what their pain point is or problem or opportunity that they want, and then they score them, and then they set an appointment for our sales reps. Our sales reps then cannot point to our marketing team and say, these leads suck. And mm -hmm. our marketing team, you know, is like, hey, look, we're developing this many X amount of, of leads every single month. And for us, it's around five, 600 every single month. And we got a certain amount to you so that you can meet with them face to face. And so it, it just ends that that finger pointing that happens with between sales and marketing, having a two-step process where sales and prospecting um, are separated. Absolutely. Um, I love that. There's just a, a constant theme here of having clarity, having clear definitions for things. If if it's up to marketing to decide what they think a qualified lead is, and then it's up to sales to decide if they think that's the right thing or not, um, that's when you're going to have process breakdown. But if at a leadership level, you can get your VP of sales and your VP of marketing together <laughs> and they can agree on here is what a marketing qualified lead looks like. And here is the one to six scale. And here is the the part of the process that marketing runs in terms of nurturing and qualifying the lead. And then here's when the handoff happens. And here's the step that needs to happen. The more clarity you have there, um, I think, you know, you don't have to worry that your team is going to be robots. They still can apply their personality. They still are going to need skill and ability, but you're just, you're, you're creating that roadmap for them. And um, that makes everybody's job a lot easier. And like you said, it's going to remove some of that kind of sniping and frustration at feeling like you're the one working really hard and everybody else is making your job more difficult. <laughs> Well, and I love our approach. We, we, we coach our customers to absolutely just take our system and process and use it. Mm -hmm. And so um, when somebody comes in, you know, our marketing team is very blended. We have three U.S. professionals and three people in the Philippines. And we put out content every single week and we email to our database and we're doing all of the content strategy stuff. But we have a blended model. So with that blended model, our costs are typically 70% less than our competitors who are, you know, having full-time U.S. people working on a, a marketing initiative. The prospectors, we, we have five of them, and their job is once somebody actually raises their hand in the marketing process and says, I'm interested and I want to have a consultation, those five prospectors, they're all in the Philippines. So we we actually have a much lower cost basis than, our, than competitive other businesses. And in this era, and I don't know if you saw, but in the election news, we just, we just saw Florida pass a minimum wage of $15. So if you're a McDonald's you know, a uh, burger flipper and you're 16 years old and you're in high school still and you're wearing braces and you show up late most days, you're making 15 bucks an hour. And so we have talent that is much less than that. And in our business, our, our team is predominantly about 70% uh, virtual talent. Absolutely. And I think there's, there's something just about um, being able to pay the salaries that do make sense to the team that you have in the U.S. and feel like you're, um, you're optimizing your business and, and you've got costs that are managed because when you have, like you, you know, like you said before, it's the highest and best value from the team that you have. That's um, right. And it's not like 
your, you know, this isn't treating the employees in the Philippines badly either. If, if people are living in a place where the standard of living um, just doesn't require a salary at the same level as it might in the U.S., uh, you're, you're providing a good opportunity for those people as well. And it's, it's just that kind of win-win sort of situation. Well, and it, I, I always tell people it's very simple. When when we lived in South America with my wife, you could get a dollar cab ride across town. Like it literally mm-hmm. cost a dollar to ride in the cab. There was no reason for us to purchase a car. It was so inexpensive to simply take cabs. The same, you know, Coca-Cola in the Philippines costs 25 cents to our two bucks. And so we offer virtual uh, professionals to businesses across the U.S. and Canada, and we help people really determine what their needs are, what what would help their business scale, who's on their team today, you know, what are some of the major roadblocks that are, if you had to double your business tomorrow, what do you need to put in place today in order to make that a reality? And we'll go through a consultation where we really break down um, what your barriers are to scale and doubling. And that process, it's usually about talent. I mean, you ask, if you ask 10 CEOs, what's your biggest challenge? He's going to, he or she is going to say getting Mm -hmm. talent, retaining talent. Absolutely. And especially in, um, you know, some of those key areas that we're talking about when it comes to sales, obviously, um, if you think about um, what it takes to sell in a consultative um, professional B2B sale, there's so much that you need out of your core senior salespeople. It, it's about the relationships they have. It's about their connections within the industry. It's about their deep understanding of both your industry, your business, and um, the prospects business and all of that. To hire a new person at that level is really important and it's valuable and it's, it's great to do, but that takes time and they're expensive. If you can say, all right, what are the 20% or 30% of activities that I'm expecting those people to do that maybe they shouldn't be doing that don't require that great skill set? You're freeing up that time for them to do more of it and um, to be able to kind of streamline and optimize and, and make a lot more efficient the the lower value, you know, things like getting birthdays into the system. Valuable, nice information to have. You probably don't want your, you know, $200,000 resource, the one doing that. Well, and you know what's funny is we don't even want our $200,000 resource uh, qualifying leads. Mm-hmm. We- you know, asking questions like what, what's your biggest challenge or what what does your team look like? And, you know, what what system are you using? Well, I, I those are important questions and they're important for our process to get somebody through it. But they're not, to your point, a two hundred thousand dollar a year sales professional. Those folks, we we want them on camera. We're we're a Zoom. We've been a Zoom a company for like the last 10 years. So we virtually have sold across the US and and Canada. We're going to talk, we need to talk about that because I think there's some best practices in there. But I don't want my, I want my salespeople who are, you know, very fast at building rapport, very fast at seeing what the opportunities are. I want them in back-to-back appointments all day long doing what they do best and and letting our virtual assistants do everything else to set them up for success. And that's exactly what we teach our customers. There's no rocket science here. I mean, if you go to a corner building and you see a gas station, guess what? That corner building has a lot of traffic and that's the most likely spot that a gas station is going to be successful at. It's the highest and best use of that real estate. All I'm asking people to do is think about 
who you have on your team today and think of what's their highest and best use and who, how could we support them with maybe a virtual assistant in, on, the, on the team and then ask more of them, ask them to do the higher level stuff, ask them to help drive revenue, ask them to find system and process and, and drive scale at your business. You start thinking about business like that and you, you can't help but doubly. Absolutely. I think back to a client I had, and this was, man, seven or eight years ago, their absolute top salesperson in the company was producing just crazy numbers, just amazing, impressive numbers. And we were, we worked with the executive team. They were kind of wondering why sales wasn't growing like they wanted it to. And we said, are you tracking new, new business versus business from existing customers? And their minds were blown, um, which, okay, that's why you hired us. Um, and so they ran that report and they were like, uh, okay, we have no new, new business. <laughs> it was just all basically account management. Um, and account management is a skill, but this guy was really good in the past at generating new, new business. But then he got so buried managing those accounts with things like literally pricing requests. You know, I need a quote for this. If we change this and you've got this amazing, skilled, intelligent, um, you know, fun, professional, just this great, great, great employee. And he's literally, you know, replying to a bazillion emails a day with, well, if you did that, the price for this would be, you know, 10 cents more. <laughs> And it, it just was, it, it was mind boggling how, um, how different it could be. And so literally all they did was hire a sales assistant um, specifically to work with him. And all of that went to the sales assistant and it, it was a good job for that person. They didn't need a ton of training and skill. You know, everything was, was fine for them. And suddenly this guy was freed up and you should have seen his numbers the next year. And he had more fun too. He didn't love to be sitting at his computer <laughs> tied to it all day, responding to price requests. Yep. You're, you're right now telling the story of IBM back in the, in the 1990s. It's an interesting, mm -hmm. it's an interesting story, but basically IBM had gone through three different CEOs over like an 18 month period. Um, McKinsey was brought in to do a study and they're like, we can't figure this out. We're either, we're going to die or, or, you know, help us. Right. So McKinsey spends millions of dollars analyzing their, and basically doing exactly what you do, Elizabeth, they analyzed the top tier salespeople and then the medium tier and the low tier. And what they found was because they had been ran by a CFO in, mm -hmm. in they had a C COO come in and then a CFO. They, they had inserted so much process into the sales, like so much, you know, I dotting and T crossing and, and mm -hmm. paperwork into the sales process that the sales team just was overburdened and they weren't actually making new net new business. Right. And so IBM charged them millions of dollars. They pulled all the leadership together and they said, you need an assistant for every salesperson. Yeah, it's a it's a really funny thing. Um, I have seen CRM systems, I'm not exaggerating, 50 required fields on the lead page. And you're asking your senior salespeople to be the one to enter leads. Yep. And then they're like, why don't they use the CRM system? Hmm. <laughs> I wonder why. And then you end up with bad data. And, you know, if, if the only time they're entering leads is when they're just about to close the deal, because it's such a hassle for them to enter leads. First of all, it's still a time suck when they eventually enter it. And you have absolutely no idea what your lead generation rate is. You have no idea what your qualification rate is because um, the way you've made the process difficult has actually decreased uh, people's uh, you know, usage of the process. And there's, there's so much in terms of just 
both, you know, like you, like we keep saying the, the highest and best use of people's time, but there's also just, you don't get accurate information. You don't have people following the process. You end up with just a lot of mess because it's, it's not even possible for people to do all the things that you're expecting them to do. Yep. We're, we're in the same camp, Elizabeth, you and I were, we're, the, we're brothers and sisters right here. Yes. Right now. If only we could just change everybody's minds, right? Um, so that leads into the next thing I want to talk about. And if we have time, I do want to back. I do want to circle back to what you said in terms of um, remote selling because that is um, that is such an important topic. But I wanted to touch on something that I know you focus on with your clients because this is something that leaders are struggling with all the time, which is metrics that matter. How do you effectively measure the success of different teams? Again, whether it's um, a remote team uh, in the U.S., whether it's existing teams that you have, whether you're hiring virtual assistants, how do you identify the key metrics that you're going to use to define success? It's a great question, um, and I always come back to outcome. So, mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of people talk about tasks and checklists and and process, and those are those are all important things. But I always start with the outcome, and I and we teach our clients this. We want to grow revenue. That's an outcome. We want to reduce costs. That's a that's an outcome. We want to increase the customer, you know, experience. Have a better experience with our business. That's an outcome. And so we focus on how can we really drive scale through outcomes. So if you're hiring somebody to grow revenue, okay, great. Let by by how much and exactly how should they contribute to that? And that's when you start diving into okay, one salesperson should equal this amount of, of new sales, right, to the business. And mm-hmm. how long does it take to ramp them up? Okay, we have a six-month ramp-up period. That means we've got a lag before we're actually going to see results within that within that role. I think people people forget, and, and leaders sometimes, they're very busy. They just say, okay, I need more salespeople. Go double the sales team. And yeah. you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait a minute. Just magically. Yeah. Wait a minute. Let's talk about the outcome that we actually are after. Is it growth sales by 20%? Okay, what could we do that isn't double the sales team? So we focus on outcome and, and we get very specific about the number or the results. And then we backfill that with a job description. And we backfill that with a process. We backfill that with data. And, and that's the right way to start thinking about growing and scaling a a company. Um, and when you think in terms of outcomes, everything else becomes easy because, and we all have or have had a coworker or an employee who, you know, they, they show up to work and they check the box. Yeah. My boss says mm-hmm. that I have to do these 10 things. And so I did these 10 things and you do those 10 things, but they never hit the outcome. Like the customer's not happy yep. or the company didn't actually save money, but the employee's like, yeah, I did it. Look, here's my checkbox. Um, you know, think of state employees, right? Mm-hmm. They show up, but they might do an hour's worth of productivity. So in our world, what we do is we focus on what what are you trying to actually achieve up front? And when we craft that achievement, we have a, a specific measurable and we have a, a process and a system behind it. That's when we know we're going to win with an employee. And that is a different um, it's different because most people are like, where's the job function? Where's the job description? Where's my checklist? And all those mm-hmm. things are good, but they miss out on the outcome. Absolutely. And even just, I, I'm sure we've all seen this, especially in the area of sales or in marketing. You could have two people and each of them makes 50 calls 
And one person out of that could get a solid 40 meetings and the other person could get zero meetings. <laughs> and um, if your metric is you must make 50 calls, then both of those people did their job. If the metric is you need to generate a certain number of meetings, then or you get paid based on meetings, then one of them might make 10 calls and hit that target. And then if they get paid for more, they're going to keep doing it. While the other person is going to be driven to be more effective and more efficient and figure out what they're doing wrong. Um, and so if you're not focused on that outcome, if you're just focused on measuring the tasks, you know, you made this many calls, you did this many meetings, um, but you didn't actually get anywhere. Well, and you know what, that, that exists in every department, in every role. Mm -hmm. I mean, think about marketing, right? Oh, I generated 100 leads. Yeah, but uh, there, 90 of them of the 100 are unemployed um, you know, people <laughs> that won't buy your product or service. So yep. yeah, you generated 100, but only 10 are actual customer fit. And so you, you, you've, and you know, whether it's operations, I did the P&L, but did you look at the results of the P&L? Like every, every position within a company needs to focus on an outcome. Like what are we trying to drive to? Um, because you can generate 100 you know, inmates as, and say, those are good leads. And they're like, but they're in jail. They can't buy our service, you know, but we but, have their name and their address. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and so customer fit, you know, you know, in the, in a sales process, having conversations that lead to appointments, these kind of outcomes are really what matter. And then the checklist follows after that. Absolutely. Because it is helpful to say, you know, typically, if you want to generate X number of leads, it takes this many calls. Um, because that's going to give especially that new employee who's onboarding a sense of what to expect, a sense of, okay, I'm not tracking to the to the goal. I wonder why that is. I need some more training. I need to figure out what I'm doing wrong, um, as opposed to giving them just that end target. But if you don't give them the end target, you just give them the method. You've got a lot of people kind of beating their head against the wall, not even recognizing what could I do to be more effective. Well, um, and con conversely, and this is an interesting story because we've just onboarded a, a new marketing person and he spent the first 30 days and he was coming to our one-on-ones and I'm like, hey, what's going on? I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm not really sure if I'm making an impact. I said, okay, let's pull out your calendar. And he's like, what, why do you want to look at my calendar? I'm like, I don't know, because <laughs> I want to see what you did. You know, like the thing, the thing that employees need, and even I need this, is structure around what mm -hmm. the performance looks like. And so in that case, I'm like, okay, you need to start scheduling when you're going to create content and mm -hmm. you, you need to start using the tool. By the way, the tool that everybody else at the company uses, but he was just never forced or asked to use it. And so mm -hmm. most of the time, employees just need that extra level of support in the beginning to get them over the hump and realize what the outcome is. And 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 you know what's funny is internally, this guy wanted to win so bad. He yeah. and he was he was starting to feel bad and like, did I choose wrong? Is this the company for me? I yeah. love this company, but I don't feel like I'm being impactful. And like, it was a simple, can you use your calendar fix? You know, like Absolutely. literally, that's what changed. And now you know he's off performing and doing really great, really great stuff for actually for the company. Absolutely, and you know it's. Little basic things like that, that if you, again, if you don't have the best practices, if you don't have the process, if you can't kind of point people back to something, then as a manager, it can be really challenging to figure out 
um, what coaching can I give this person? So you know, the it's more- funny, but the person's always like, but that sounds like a lot of work. And, and, and it is. And in fact, I, we were onboarding a new customer the other day and he's like, do I have to set this pr- process up first? And I'm, I look at him, I look at him in the eye and if this is a sales thing. So I'm like, look, I'm the surgeon. You're the, you're, you're the patient who's about to get open heart surgery. <laughs> you don't want me to t- you don't want to tell me how to do my service. Like you, you want me, the expert, to do the open heart surgery, right? I'm like, go mm-hmm. put your process in place, and 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 the whole surgeon close. I mean, the reality is, everybody wants to win. Everybody wants to be a part of a team. Everybody likes motion and forward movement, and mm-hmm. it's your job as a leader to provide the framework so that is possible within an organization. Absolutely. Well, I, I would love to move on to like 10,000 different topics, but I'm looking at the clock and I realize that we probably need to start winding down. So I might have to bring you back, but um, I would love to hear, um, do you have any books or resources or other best practices that you would like to recommend to our listeners? Well, I, I mean, at the beginning of the of the show, you said that we have a book. So if you're considering yes. virtual assistance, like <laughs> here's what happened. We, we, as a company, we've onboarded a couple thousand people. And what I kept seeing is these common mistakes. Like our customers would miss something or our mm-hmm. customers would say, well, nobody told me that. So literally uh, last year in December, I finished a, t- it took two years to write this book. So I mm-hmm. pulled every tribal piece of knowledge out of our business. We interviewed customers. We, we interviewed customers who it didn't work for customers who were raving fans mm. we've interviewed a ton of people and we threw basically 13 years 6000 virtual assistants hired of love and support and guidance into one book so if you're listening right now you can actually get a copy of that book by texting mod so my outdesk mod in the message portion and then in the number you would put 31996 and you'll get either a Kindle or a PDF. And I think by the time this comes out, we'll have our audiobook all uploaded. So you can get a free copy of that book. And if you're considering virtual assistance and, and really scaling your business with a blended model, this has everything you need to think about. That really sounds like it. And, um, you know, the the foundation of the, the blended model of the remote work, certainly whether you're doing it with virtual assistants or just trying to improve the efficiency within your existing team, um, these are best practices for both of those. So um, I, I really think that our listeners will um, hopefully be, uh, you know, start thinking about the virtual model because there are, there are additional benefits to that. But regardless, having this doc, this tribal knowledge documented, clarified, um, being outcome focused, that's going to help your business scale almost kind of regardless. So, exactly. so foundationally. All right, Daniel, if you want people to learn more about you and your work, where should they go? You can definitely go on our website, myoutdesk.com. Um, what's really good about what we do is we don't hide. I mean, our whole company is centered around giving you the information to succeed. So mm-hmm. we do podcasts. We have a blog post that goes out. Literally, we do five blog posts a week where we identify the industry, the virtual assistant that people hire, and exactly how they've had success. So our entire focus is like, hey, our customers need to win with us. And so- mm-hmm. We put out a blog uh, almost one a day and we're doing video and podcasts and you can get a copy of the book there and you can request a consultation. And what's cool about our 
consultations are there 100% free. So you go through a process. At the end of that process, you will have a roadmap for hiring virtual assistants, whether you hire us or you don't. So Wonderful. Um, our, our process is really centered around, you know, as, you know, being as positive and helping others win. That's what we want to have happen when you come in into contact with us. Absolutely. That's the the sense I get from everything that I've heard from you, from um, the episodes of your podcast that I've listened to. You're just all about adding value. And, and that really comes through. So thank you so, so much for speaking to me today and adding that value to our audience, Daniel. It's been my pleasure. Thank you, Elizabeth. All right. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning into today's show. You can find the notes and resources for everything that Daniel and I have been talking about today at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 293. If you enjoyed the show today, please recommend this to a friend. That is the best way to help more people discover the show. And if you haven't yet subscribed, make sure to do that wherever you're listening. That way you'll hear every new episode as soon as it goes live. You can subscribe for free, again, wherever you're listening today. We love to hear your feedback. You can leave us ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts, or even email us with direct feedback, questions, or guest suggestions at podcast at criteriaforsuccess.com. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at CFS Playbook. And don't forget to check out the blog at criteriaforsuccess.com slash insights. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success. Happy selling!